Hallelujah. We're going to begin this message in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it really deals with the Antichrist. And whenever we're looking at the way that things are going in the world today, we definitely can begin to see. It doesn't take a, a, a prophetic gift to begin to see that there's things going on right now that parallel with the end times, that not only parallel with the end times, but we're beginning to see the root of the Antichrist right now. And we, we are beginning to see uh, the Antichrist system. Now, if you're not too familiar with the Antichrist system, he's, he's, his desire is to control, to control. His desire is to be God. This is uh, the devil incarnates the Antichrist. And the reason that the devil was kicked out of heaven is because he wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshiped as God. And he wanted to be a little God. He didn't want to, he, he, his desire wasn't to be the only God. He just wanted to be like God, which tells us if you want to be like God, there's a problem. So anyways, the, the devil incarnates in the Antichrist in the end times. And what happens is his desire is to, to, to have authority over everyone on earth. He seeks to control money. He seeks to control religion. He seeks to control government. He's looking for a one-world government with a one-world currency, and he forces everyone into a one-world religion. Now, when we come up into this place here, we're, we're looking at some of the causes and the things that produce the Antichrist coming onto the scene. And I'm going to tell you this morning, the reason that so many people will miss this is because they will put their hope and their trust in men. I want to tell you this morning that the church, if the church doesn't get this right, many in the church are going to miss this, and they're going to take a left when God's going right. The, the church today has to get to the place where our faith, our hope, our trust is founded upon God and the ability of God to still work in our generation, in our day, and in our time. Do you know that God has not retired? Amen. You don't have to run to men. Amen. God's still on the throne and his spirit still works. Amen. You don't have to run to men. You don't have to run to politicians. One of the problems in the church world today and in America today, America especially, is that we are set up and we are bound by what I call political idolatry. Political idolatry is whenever you begin to think that your well-being is tied to a politician. I want you to know that no matter who the politician is, you can have a blessed life. No matter how much food's in your pantry, you can have a blessed life. Even if you find yourself like Joseph in a prison in Egypt, sold into slavery, everyone rejecting you, nobody with you, and you all by yourself in the middle of that prison cell, I want you to know that Joseph was blessed. And God's no respecter of persons. If Joseph could be blessed in the middle of Egypt as a slave, so can you right now today. Well, you don't understand what life's like. Well, it's probably better than being a slave in Egypt a few thousand years ago in prison. Sold by your family. Rejected by your brethren. Having none. And yet, blessed. You see, we, we in the church world, we think that blessings are airplanes 
gold-plated shoes. Blessing is having God with you wherever you are. Blessing is having the presence of God in the middle of the night. Blessing, blessing is God. It's not what God can give me. It's God. Oh, the church would get that. The blessing is Jesus. Not what he can give you. Who he is. Not what he's done for you lately, but who he is to you right now. What he did for you and who he is. That's the blessing. And no man can take that. No man can take what God is. They might can take your money. They might can take your family. They might can take your freedom. But they can't take God. He's bound to no man. We have a problem in the nation of political idolatry. In case you don't remember, in Galatians chapter 5, it is idolatry is one of the works of the flesh. You cannot have idolatry in your life and walk in the power of the Spirit at the same time. How are you going to walk in the power of the Spirit and run from man to man to man? You're supposed to run to God. And yet we see many in the church, they're either running to this politician or running to that politician, and God is just sitting on the throne. Waiting on his church to come back home. We register people to vote for this party, register people to vote for that party. When was the last time we drug people to the altar? They don't need a, a politician. They need altars. They need to meet God. They need to be set free. They need to have deliverance. They need to find peace from God. And you know what the problem is? The sad reality and the secret is many in the church world, they don't have that. How are you going to lead somebody to have something that you don't have? See, whenever you don't have something, you can't lead somebody to it. You can't teach somebody something that you don't know. If you don't know where food is, you can't lead somebody to where food is. If you don't know where the well of water is, you can't lead somebody to get a drink. See, D.L. Moody, he said what changed his ministry is whenever he figured out his job was not to go get a bucket of water and bring it to people, but to bring people to the fountain. He said, it changed my ministry when I, when I realized my job is, is to bring people to the fountain so they can come get a drink for themselves. Jesus is the fountain, not a politician. People need Jesus today. People, I'm not diminishing politicians, but I'm telling you, you cannot make idolatry and the spirit go hand in hand. You have to choose one or the other of where your hope is. And I don't believe anybody would verbally say my hope is in a politician, but by their actions and by their fretting 
and by their fingernail biting and by their worrying and by their complaining and bickering and all this stuff, they tell the story. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, talking about the Antichrist, it says, Then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. You see, God's going to take care of him in one moment. The church has been worried about the Antichrist for 2,000 years. God's going to take care of him in one minute. So maybe we should be more invested in who God is. Not worried about who's going to be the Antichrist. Just worry about being connected to God right now. Just worry about being connected to God. Shore up the foundation. It says that the Lord will consume him with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. But you could write books and sermons on that phrase alone. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, it's the Antichrist, with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, the people, because they don't love the truth, they're running to men. The Antichrist has signs and wonders. They are lying signs and wonders, but he has them. Just because somebody's in a church, in a religious environment, and just because you begin to see somebody do something doesn't mean they're from God. The, the, if, if you go back into Exodus with Moses, there were two sorcerers that Pharaoh had that did the exact same thing that Moses did. Satan imitates. He imitates See, Moses threw down his staff and it became a serpent right there in Pharaoh's court. And those two sorcerers, they threw down theirs and they became a, a, a serpent as well. So just because somebody's in a church and does something doesn't mean it's of God. The way that you know that it's of God is if it agrees with the Spirit of God and lines up with the Word of God. What people say and what people do, it's irrelevant. It has to line up with the Spirit of God and the Word of God in order to be of God. Now here we see something important. I want you to see something. It says that in verse 11, it says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, there's a delusion coming on the church. The world's already deluded. I hope that you know that. You don't have to delude the world. They're already deceived. They're already in darkness. See, our job is to bring the light to them, to bring the gospel. See, it's not a carnival. We don't need to bring a carnival to the world. We don't need to bring laser lights. We don't need to bring fireworks. We need to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can take somebody that's in a deluded state and bring them back to the truth. Bring them back to freedom. Bring them back to the reality of who God is. It's not about anything else. But it's delusion. It's not coming on the world. It's coming on the church. And it's coming on those that don't love the truth. They don't love the truth. So what would they love, Pastor? Anything. Gold-plated anything or men that can bring them an extra $600 for their pockets or $1,000 for their pockets. 
Any, any, anything that a politician promises you, people will run after and begin to get all violent, put their hopes in those things and get mad when nobody else loves that politician as much as you. God never called you to love a politician. God called you to love him. How are you going to lay down your life for a politician when you wouldn't go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone who's dying and in need of salvation? You see, listen, this delusion is when somebody believes they're doing the right thing. A delusion is when somebody is being tricked, when somebody believes with all of their being that they are doing the right thing, but it's the wrong thing. And there's a strong delusion. Listen, as the church, many in the church, as they begin to blow up into political idolatry, they are going to be deluded into sin. They're going to be following a delusion. We have to make sure that we get back to the truth, back to the foundations of our faith. So that we don't get swayed when this wind right here of delusion blows. There is a delusion coming. And if you're not right with God, you'll, you'll get sucked into it. You might say, Pastor, I, I'm good. I'll, I'll see it when it's coming. Not if you don't love the truth. Not flirting with the truth. There's a difference between loving the truth and flirting with the truth. Do you know what it is? Flirting with the truth ain't going to cut it in that day. If you flirt with the truth, there's going to be a button that the Antichrist can push. You'll waver somewhere. And just to let you know that everybody's, everybody that's not sold out to God has a price. And the Antichrist will cash in on it. When you can't buy, sell, or trade... Unless you take the mark of the Antichrist. If you, and listen, if you take the mark of the Antichrist, the Bible says you'll go to hell. Don't let anybody deceive you on that. Nobody with the mark of the beast will be in heaven. You can say that on the authority of God's word. It says all who took the mark of the beast will go into the lake of fire. Now, what is our job? Our job is to not love leaders our job is to not be bound by men our job is is, is, listen our job is to bring about a restoration in our own lives by the power of god you see you may not be able to change a nation but you you can surrender yourself to god afresh you can be filled with god afresh and then you can begin to to bless others with what you have. You see, one of the things that, that, that struck me out as I, I was praying over this message is, you know, if let's just say, for instance, and, and I don't know who your favorite politician is, but let's just say, for instance, that God gave you the ability to pick every political leader from the House of Representatives to the Senate to the governors to the President, Supreme Court, God let you pick everybody. You, you alone, you got to pick everybody, and you pick the most godly, the most wise, the most, you know, uh, benevolent person, people you could pick. You know what the nation's going to do? The very next election, 
This wicked nation is going to vote every single one of them out. Because revival and restoration takes from the root up. You can't take it from a leader down. It has to be the people that have a heart turned to God. You can have a, well, how, show me an example, pastor. All right. Exodus, Moses. Moses is talking to God. Moses is getting the law of God. Joshua says, I hear the sound of war. Moses said, "Uh uh-uh, that's idolatry. They were worshiping. As Moses was meeting with God, the whole nation was worshiping a golden calf. You had a godly leader, and you had a godless nation. And all of them died, save two, Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses died. What happened? Restoration, revival cannot take place from top down. You can't hope. You know why the church wants godly leadership in the government? Because the church wants to retire. The church wants to take it easy. The church wants to have banquets. The church wants to go to the golf club and have dinners instead of rolling up our sleeves and going to the streets and, and, and sharing the gospel with people that don't know God. Instead of being who we're supposed to be until the day that the trumpet sounds, the church wants to take it easy and let a godly leader make it to where we don't have to stretch, we don't have to push, we don't have to pray, but we can just sit comfortably in our rocking chair as the paychecks come in the mail and nobody bothers us. Listen, it's one thing for the nation to be like that. It's an entirely different thing when the church of the living God is the same way. Lord, have mercy on the church and wake us up. God's going to. God's going to do it. This is what I want you to see. It has to start in the church. You can't look to politicians. You can't look to the nation. You have to start with the church. Peter said, judgment starts with the household of God. That makes sense to me. I don't know about you. Why are you going to get mad at the world for acting like the world? Why are you going to get mad at the world for acting like who they are? It's the church. We've got to be who we're supposed to be. And yet, we've put our hopes in politicians just like the world does. You know why the world does? Because the world doesn't have God. We have a peace that abides within. We have peace that passes all understanding, that comforts our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we're content in God, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God does exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think through Christ Jesus for the church. And yet, we run around acting like the world, putting our hopes in men just so that we can live comfortably in our recliner and watch the world go by. That's not our job. 
The church has a commission by Jesus, the founder of the church. He said, go into all the world, right? And any, and, and, and any time the church has a banquet, we're not doing that. The, the call, the commission was to go into all the world to preach and to teach this gospel, to baptize, bring people into faith. And God's commission is still there. He never called us to hold banquets. He never called us to have a conference. He called us to go. Well, there are many in the church that are going, but there are far more that never went. And when you begin to not go and do what God calls you to do, you'll begin to get diluted, just like this passage is talking about. Now, until we get back to being God-pleasers, we'll always be men-pleasers. If God's happy with you, it doesn't matter who's upset with you. you. You know what? Sometimes doing the right thing may cost you a job. It may cost, sometimes doing the right thing may cost you a relationship. Sometimes doing the right thing may cost you a marriage. Sometimes doing the right thing may cost you a retirement. It may cost you all kinds of things. But you have to make the decision for yourself whether you're going to be a person that pleases God or pleases men. Until the church gets back to being God-pleasers first, people of the book, people of the Holy Spirit will never be who God wants us to be. You'll always, you'll, you'll always be on the fringe. And in that day, when the Antichrist comes, you don't want to be in the fringe. Because the people that don't love the truth are going to get diluted. And, and, and anybody with a pulse can tell you that many people in this last election even were swayed to the left and to the right. That deluding spirit was getting on people taking them away from their hope being Jesus. Your hope has to be Jesus. I love you enough to tell you that. Even if, even if this nation is destroyed, Jesus is still on the throne. I, look, I want my children and, you know, if the Lord tarries my grandchildren to grow up in a, in a free and great nation, but I would rather them grow up with God. I would rather them grow up with God first. My greatest, my greatest desire, right? My greatest desire is to, is to please God myself, then to teach my wife how to please God, then to teach my children how to please God, and then all those around me teach, hey, we've got to please God. This has got to be restored to the church. I want to share something with you. God's people that are guided by his spirit will become vessels of restoration to those around them. If you're guided by his spirit, not by idolatry, but if you're guided by his spirit, because anybody can say they're guided by his spirit and then hand, you know, ask for the gold-plated airplanes and stuff like that. 
But any person that's truly guided by the Spirit of God will become a vessel of restoration to those around them. You first got to have it. You first got to find that reconciliation and restoration from God. You need to go to that altar. You need to go to that altar, get, get, get in front of God, and, and, and the Spirit of God will begin to break those chains off of you. You live, you live in a generation where lies and evil spirits are deluding people daily. You live in a generation. It's not lukewarm. It is, there is evil spirits deluding people right now. And if you don't get in the habit of going before God, getting in that, that altar, getting in that prayer closet, and allowing the Holy Spirit to break every chain, one after the next. Oh, that spirit of fear came on you because you, you, you don't know what's going to happen if you can't pay that bill. And you don't know what's going to happen if you don't take that vaccine or you get that sickness or you do this or you do that. Fear. What do you have to fear if you fear God? Amen. Do you fear dying? Because Jesus defeated death. The greatest fear that came on men was death. And Jesus defeated it. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that when you close your eyes in death and you become absent from this mortal body that you'll be present with Jesus? Do you truly believe that? Death is only a doorway to eternal life for the believer. It is a doorway to damnation for the unbeliever. It is a doorway to eternal life for the believer. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58. Let me show you something right here. Isaiah 58. Look at the very first verse, though. It says, cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Show my people their transgression, the house of Jacob, their sins. God told Isaiah, don't be quiet about this. In other words, the people of God don't need a book report. They need you to be a trumpet. They need you to, 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 to speak the truth. Because look at this. It says in verse 2, Yet they seek me daily and delight. I would, you know, if I was writing the Bible, I'd put that in quotations. They delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And, but he's, he's saying, but they don't. They act like it. They've got the ritualistic part of it down. They have the front. They, they, they say that they want God, but they don't. I'm reminded of, of Brother Ravenhill's quote. He said, the church, uh, the church will experience revival when the church truly wants it. Because if you truly want revival, guess what? You won't have to come to church on Monday evening. Because when revival breaks out, the service just keeps on going. 
I just want revival like um, one, one day a month, Pastor. <laughs> you don't want revival then. Re revival is when you desire what God's doing more than what you have. You want more of God. And you're willing to be, you're, you're willing to be inconvenienced to get it. Oh, when was the last time the church got inconvenienced for God? Well, I can't do that. The ball game's on, Pastor. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I can't do that. I got, you know, I, I got to go to the, to the thing, you know. It's always a thing. We can't be inconvenienced, and because we can't be inconvenienced, we won't see revival. But when we're willing to be inconvenienced, we might just see revival in our day. Lord, here's my calendar. Mess it up. I like my time alone, but I'd rather have God. So, in, in, in moving down, and that's how Isaiah starts this passage. He's saying, you know, these people say that they want me, but they really don't. So, Isaiah, cry. Cry out, tell them the truth, right? And look, here, here's an awesome part. Go, going down to verse number, verse number 10. If thou, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry... Now, before we go further, we don't have to be Hebrew scholars. How do you draw out of your soul to somebody that's hungry? Does your soul have corn in there? Does your soul have ramen noodles? What's your soul got? Your soul got Jesus? Does your soul have that fountain of living water? So we're not talking about hungry in a natural. Now, it's not to dismiss that because if somebody's hungry and you have the ability, you're supposed to help them. But when you feed somebody out of your soul, you're giving them what you got. What you got? You're not talking about a pantry. He's talking about your soul, who you are. And you see, the problem with the church is we, we, we would rather be, have a banquet or a conference and be around everybody that don't have problems. If somebody has problems, put them over there. Well, we, we, all, we don't have problems, so we just got our conference over here if everybody don't have problems. When your job is to go be around people that are hungry and pour out of your soul to them. Your job is not to be in a place where you're not afflicted, but to go and be a, a vessel that God can use to feed others. Draw out of thy soul to the hungry, and listen to this, and satisfy the afflicted soul. Hello. Satisfy the afflicted soul. The person who's tormented, the person who's, who, who may be in a, in, in, in a relationship that's ungodly, the person that may be bound by drugs or alcohol or fetters of, of chains of pornography or whatever the sin may be. And you're willing to pour out into this afflicted soul. Are you willing? Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and get in the fight? 
Are you willing to be a vessel that God can use? Because look, any person that is guided by the Spirit of God will become this vessel. You can count on it. And God's doing it right now. There's a new thing God's doing in the church. You know, it's not a new thing, though. It's an old thing. It's a new thing for us, but he's taking the church back to his roots. He's taking the church back to its foundation. Watch. Watch this. Satisfy the afflicted soul. That tells you right there that he's not talking about just simply food. Not to discount it because it does play a part. Jesus fed 5,000. It plays a part. But he also ministered to broken souls. You, you, you can't have one without the other or do the one without the other. Satisfy the afflicted soul. Look at this. Then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. You know what? As dark as it may get for you, it'll be like noon. In other words, God will be a light to you no matter how bad things get. God will shine upon you even when the world has rejected you. Even when the world has confined you out of its way, out of its system and relegated you to some re-education camp and you don't see any hope and there's darkness all and despair all around you, I want you to know God will be like to you the noonday. He will be a light to you in darkness. If you are who God wants you to be, if you are a vessel that God can use to bring restoration to others, God will be to you as the noonday, even in a dark hour. God will. He will do it. Because He's good. Because He's God. But we've got to get out of political idolatry. Stop putting our hope in men. People don't need men. They need God. Men can't break the fetters of addiction. Men can't break patterns of destruction. Only God can. Only God can. They don't need to pop pills. They need to get alone with God and receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Spirit of God. says that the darkness will be as the noonday. I don't know about you, but that excites me just a little bit. I just get a little bit excited right there. No matter how bad it gets, it's going to be like noon. Oh, you know, oh, Fanny Crosby, she was blind it, it, right after birth, and she wrote so many hymns that we sing in the old church choirs. And, 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 they, and somebody came to her, oh, poor pitiful Fanny, you know. I just wish that you could see, you know, right now, and I just feel so bad for you because you're going to live all your life and you're never going to be able to see. And she said, don't feel bad for me because the first face I'm going to see is Jesus. Wow. You see, even in her darkness, God was like noon to her. She was living in noonday. She had the hope of God in her soul. She had something that this world doesn't have. 
It's just about perspective. I know it may look dark to you, but think about this. The first face I'm going to see is Jesus. You see, that's somebody that lives in noonday. And I want you to know no matter how bad things become, and I don't know, I'm not prophesying America's going to, I'm just saying no matter how bad things get, God will be like to you the noonday if you'll become a vessel of restoration. Look at verse 11. It says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually. That's what I was saying. Somebody, that's, somebody that is guided by the Spirit of God. The Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought. See, you, you, you can't lead somebody to a fountain that you don't drink of. I heard, you know, one, one minister say one time, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's, you, know, you know where food is and somebody's hungry, you know, hey, if you go over there, you'll get something. And, and, and that's the same thing. It says that he satisfies our soul in drought and he makes fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Not even on the bad days. Not even on the day you get a bad report from the doctor. Not even on the day that you get that bill in the mail. Not even in the day that you come home and nobody's there. Not even in that day. Not even in the day that you stand next to that casket before they lower it down. His water will fail not. His water will fail not. Hallelujah. He will cause you to drink of his river of living water every day of your life. No matter how things appear on the outside, it'll bubble up on the inside. God will be good to you. Do you believe that? It says in verse 12, and they that shall be of thee shall build up the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called, listen, and he's, look, thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Do you know that if, if, if you are guided by the Spirit of God, he will use you to repair the breach in other people's lives. He will use you to help them come to faith in Jesus Christ. He will use you to, to get them to a point where they cry out to God for the Holy Ghost. He will get you to be a vessel to lead people into the path where he can bring restoration to them. You know that there's only one way somebody can be restored, and that is through Jesus Christ. You don't have to know psychology or philosophy. You don't have to, you, you don't have to know it. It is knowing Jesus. And he says that he will cause you to become the repairer of the breach. People will come around you because they know you may not have all the answers, but you know where to direct them. Amen. Hey, look, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get out of this, but I'm going to tell you God's going to make a way. What have you just done? You've helped repair that breach. You see, the world right now, people are in turmoil. People are hopeless, and they, there's a breach between where they are. There's a breach. 
People need God today. We don't need politicians. We don't need men. We don't need to have idolatry in the church. We need to repair the breach. And the only way it's going to be repaired is when we bring people to Jesus. So God, look, God will use you to repair the breach. Use you as a vessel of restoration for the bound, the broken, those that are breached. He'll use you. You know, there's a, a passage in the Bible that David illustrates this. David illustrated this. And if you'll, if you'll turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, let me show you this. 1 Chronicles 13. Now, this is whenever David is first becoming king. This is whenever David is first kind of coming into the, 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 the ministry, the office of, of being the king. What's the first thing you want to do, David? You want to have a coronation? You want to stand out st stimulus checks? What you want to do, David? You know what his desire is? To bring restoration of worship into the nation. What do people need more than bread? What do they need more than stimulus checks? What do they need more than, you know, medical attention? We need, we need to get a heart for worship again. We need to get a heart that desires God again. It says in, in, in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. David said unto all the congregation of Israel, if it seem good unto you, that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquire not at it in the days of Saul. What's he saying? The ark, that, that's the mercy seat. This is the mercy seat. This is the place where they meet with God. This is where God was manifested in these days. And they didn't even use it in the days of Saul. David's first desire was not to send out stimulus checks or to help people get medical attention or to build people housing. His first desire is to get people to worshiping the living God again. Get people into the presence of God again. And, and look, look at verse 4. It says, and all the congregation said they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So he he. He moved the nation to desire God again. Now you've got something. Once you get all the people into a place where they're desiring God, now you've got something. And now there's the long story as you go through this. They, they went to go get the ark and they didn't carry it right. And, 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 and a guy died in process. Uzzah. And, and, and it had to stay in the house of, of, of a family. And then... David brings it in. Now we're going to pick up this passage 
If you'll go to, to chapter 16. Verse 1. They finally got the ark there. And this is the, this is the thing that was on David's heart. And the whole nation was moved into this. It says, so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pinched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of the offering of the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Look, that's something they didn't have in the days of Saul. He restored worship. He restored to them the presence of God in the nation. And you know what happened to David? Now, he was a worshiper all of his life. But it says in verse 7, it says, Then on that day David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord in the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. And talk ye of all his wondrous works. And you can go on through that whole thing. Well, what happened to David? When, when he restored the presence of God to the nation, the presence of God came on him. And he penned this psalm on that day. What happened? Restoration of worship. It was a restoration of worship. His heart for God moved the nation to God. His heart for God moved the nation to God. You see, he didn't hope that, that, and I want you to see this, he didn't stop at saying, okay, we're going to get all the leaders of the nation to worship God again, then everybody else will. No, he got the whole nation gathered together and convinced everybody to worship God, to desire God. David led a nation that was breached away from God back to God. Do you know that the same thing can happen to you in the church. You can get so on fire for God. You can get so on fire for God and filled with His Spirit that God can use you to bring about a spirit of restoration in the church. To bring us back to that place where the foundations are stored, the foundations are restored in the church again. This world doesn't need a carnival. This world needs Jesus. If, 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 if you try to give a carnival to somebody who's bound by fetters of sin, all you're going to do is let them go on the merry-go-round while they're dying on the inside. Until you lead the person to the cross of Calvary, where their sin was paid for, where hope is birthed. And until you bring that person to that altar where they tarry before God and receive the Holy Spirit, until you do that, all you're doing is putting them on a merry-go-round of misery. A merry-go-round of misery. Well, it's fun going round and round, Brother Kenny. All right. Maybe it is. Maybe it is fun going round and round. But at some point, you have to realize insanity 
is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. At some point, you have to say, you know what? I'm tired of doing this. I want God. Go for broke. The woman with the issue of blood, she went for broke. If they caught her, she would have got stoned to death. She went for broke. She didn't need men. She didn't need anything a man could do for her. She needed a touch from God. She knew who Jesus was. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I knew I would be made whole. And nothing was going to stop her. She pressed through the crowd. She went for broke. And until you get around people and you begin to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ in that manner, look, go for broke to the cross. Yes, I understand, but. No, there's no buts. Go for broke. You can't hold on to this life and hold on to the cross of Calvary. You've got to let go of this world, let go of the things that hold you down, let go of your past, let go of who you are, grab hold of who God is, let him do something new in you today, and he will. Won't he? He will. Old things are passed away. All things are become new in Christ Jesus. You can't hold on to who you are now and who God wants you to be. You've got to let go of your past. Let go of your present. Let go of how you want things to be and hold on to God. Let him do something new in you today. See, David's worship right here was pure. Nobody had to coach him. It says that, that on that day, David gave a psalm to Asaph. Uh, you know, and, and there's a middle story in there. Remember when he was dancing before his wife and his wife was, look at this guy doing all that. There's a middle story in there. But look, it, it, it got on him so heavy that this psalm, that, and you know what a psalm is, right? It's penned by the Spirit of God. I mean, the Spirit of God came on him to the point where he was writing Scripture on that day. Nobody had to say, now, David, you know, we're bringing the ark back to town. It's the first time in many years, David. You should, you know, maybe clap your hands for the Lord. Come on, let's stand up and clap. Nobody had to coach him. Nobody prodded him into worshiping the living God. Say, wow, God's here. This nation is worshiping God. It just came on him. Does somebody got to coach you? You feel like the, 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 the worship leader, the pastor, or maybe your spouse or somebody, they, they, they nagging you. They always telling me to be happy in Jesus. I mean, maybe you need to get to the place where Jesus is your noonday. Then nobody will have to coach you and prod you. Nobody coached David. Nobody, nobody had to prod him. He was, his worship was pure. It was bursting from the inside. He didn't look over at anybody else and go, are, are they lifting their hands? Okay, I'll lift my hands too. He didn't do that. His eyes weren't on men. His eyes were on God. He was in tune with what God was doing. He was seeing a work of restoration and, and it came out of his soul. It got in him. And say, oh, nobody else is clapping. I better not clap. Nobody else is shouting. I better not shout. 
Look, if nobody else is shouting and you got a shout in your spirit, you better let it out. If, if, if everybody wants to, to, to not, you know, be in that place, let them. Be who God made you to be. If you're excited for God, be excited for God. Don't let them pour cold water on what God's making hot in you. You see, the world wants nothing more than to dump cold water on you. You get excited for God, they go, well, yeah, yeah, but, you know, what you all happy about? You get excited for God, they're going to give you 99 reasons why you shouldn't. Yeah, but he bought me. He bought me. I am not my own. He bought me with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't have to. I didn't ask him to. He loved me before I even knew him. He loved me while I was bound in my sin. He knew He knew the road you were going to walk down, and he still went to Calvary for you. The Bible says for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross for you. Hallelujah. He loved you anyways, so you should love him anyways. He knew who you were and he loved you anyways. So no matter what people think about you, you should love him anyways. That's what David did. That's what he found. And it began, listen, it began to restore the nation. They had years of prosperity under David. And I don't mean prosperity like the fake preachers preach. I'm talking about prosperity meaning God's there. God's there. They had years of it because the foundation was restored like Isaiah was talking about. The foundation. What is the foundation for you? Stimulus checks? Bank account? Good health report from the doctor? Having a family? Being married? What's, what is your foundation that you stand on? I want you to know the rock of ages is Jesus. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Health changes. Families change. Bank accounts change. Governments change. Men change. Attitudes change. Societies change. But God changes not. Hallelujah. Do you see how David was used to repair the breach that was in Israel? Do you see it? The, uh, they had no worship under Saul. They had none. They didn't use the ark. That's the mercy seat. That's where God met with the nation at. They didn't use it. Sound like the church? They don't use the cross. Does it sound like the church? They don't use the cross anymore. We got fog machines. We don't use altars. We don't use it. Why? It's like Saul. And when the church gets to the place like David where we begin to restore the mercy seat back to the church, we'll begin to see God move in the church again. I'm not satisfied until the church is on fire again. Yes, I'm going to complain as the society gets more godless, but I'm going to complain more as the church stays dead. We have to get our house in order. 
And when we do, we'll see God move. Let me share with you one last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. I believe that this is one of the places that God really is going to use the church right now. Me, this really embodies what happened to David that we just read. Really embodies it. Because do you know and realize that David could have just gone to visit the ark? He could have gotten one of the Levitical priests to go meet him at the ark. He could have, he could have just been satisfied with just him, a Levitical priest, and the ark. He could have been satisfied right there. Do you realize that? He could have said, well, you know what? The nation's kind of got used to not having the mercy seat around. The nation's kind of got used to not having the presence of God in its midst. But he, he would not settle for that. He wouldn't settle for people not having God. He wanted people to be set free. He wanted people to know God. He wanted people to experience the presence and power of God in their life. He knew it. He had an insatiable desire for God. It was, in, it was in there. It wasn't coached in here. It was in the soul. It was out of the soul that he was feeding the hungry. And, and, and so David wasn't satisfied. And, and, and see, when you get right with God and you get the fire of God on you and you get filled with the presence of God, listen, you're not going to be satisfied with people not knowing God. You're not going to be able to be like the church has been for the last however many years of, of seeking to do conference and banquet halls and, you know, golf tournaments. How are we going to have a golf tournament right now? Why don't we just put people on a carousel until they go to hell? When is the church going to get to the place where we desire to see people set free and saved and filled with the power of God? What are you going to do? Give them a, give them a glow-in-the-dark sticker while they go to hell? That's where the church is. Here's a hat. Here's a glow-in-the-dark bumper sticker. Love tells people the truth. And if people are dying and going to hell and we don't tell them, we don't love them. So it says in verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, In all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. How did God reconcile you? Because you joined the right church? How did God, God reconciled you through Jesus? Not what you did, what he did. Not what you did, what he did. He reconciled you through Jesus. You just received it and believed it. It says that he reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and had given. Well, oh, here you go. What did he give you? Did he give you What? The charge to lead banquets. What did it give you? It says that in verse number 18, he had given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, or to which, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Our job is to tell the world that they can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's our job. Our job is to lead people to find reconciliation with God. They will not find reconciliation to God through a politician, through medicine, through anything else. They will find reconciliation to God one place, by faith in what Jesus did. Jesus being God manifest in the flesh came to this earth to live a sinless life represented by unleavened bread. To go to the cross of Calvary and die the death in your place. Bearing your sin. Dying at Golgotha. Bodily. For three days. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. The Bible says in John chapter 2, he told them, tear down this temple and in three days, I will raise it again. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He rose from the dead on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Bible says that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Jehovah, that he is the Lord God Almighty, that there is no other God, you confess him as your Lord and Savior. He says you'll be saved. He'll reconcile you to God. He'll bring you whole. He'll bring you to the place where you're set free. And what's awesome is, he said also this, tarry in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. He never expected you to live a Christian life without the power of God in you. He gave you the Holy Spirit so that he can guide you, comfort you, teach you, and empower you to live a holy and righteous life in the midst of a dark, decaying, godless society. So that he will be as the noonday to you in a dark world. So that you can share the hope of the living God with those that don't have it. And if you will be led by the Spirit of God, he will use you to breach. To, to repair the breach. To be a breach repairer. Would you be a breach repairer? Or are you looking for the banquet hall? You looking for the banquet hall? Or to repair the breaches? Let God minister and seal this word in our souls. I believe that God wants to use us to minister this message to those in the church and those in the world. I believe it. I believe that God is restoring this it is a foundation. The word restoration means to bring back from error and wondering. To bring back from error and wondering. I think that one of the greatest challenges we have right now 
is that people have political idolatry, even in the church. Even we might. We might even have to search our own heart. Say, Lord, do I have political idolatry in me? Am I putting more hope in a political movement or political party or a politician than in you? God forbid. Let God search and let God heal. And then God will use you to be a minister of reconciliation to others. Amen? All right, hallelujah. Let's pray and then we're going to open up.